Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hello, my brothers and sisters. I am really thrilled that you're here with me today. It is a privilege to have you with me. And I'm really excited today that my very own pastor is on the podcast today. I have a great church I belong to. I think it's a healthy and balanced church. Now, some of you have never been in a healthy church. So we're going to talk about what you should be looking for in a new church. So let me read his bio for you here. Kyle Fox is the lead pastor of Red Mountain Community Church in Mesa, Arizona. He's been in this role since 2016, but he has grown up at this church. He graduated from Biola University in 2009 and Phoenix Seminary in 2017. He is passionate about people, knowing the Bible more, and about missions, both locally and all over the world. He and his wife, Sarah, have three kids. They love to be outside hiking or biking or whatever else sounds fun. So please welcome Pastor Kyle Fox to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time out to come on the podcast. (laughs) Absolutely. Good to be here. Yeah, we only talk with you in passing some short spurts here and there. So this is a great excuse to get some one-on-one pastor time. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. (laughs) We're going to start off with something really spiritual today, which is food. Absolutely. (laughs) You have a saying about pretzels. They're not really what you want, but they're there when you're hungry. Is that the right quote? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. (laughs) Brian, I joke about that all the time. He's a big pretzel eater. I'm I'm on this vegan diet. And so I'm shopping at Sprouts for snacks. Um, My doctor put me on this diet. It is not voluntary. And I happened upon these pretzels in the snack aisle. And I, I have the pretzels because you probably wouldn't believe me, but these are made out of cauliflower and butternut yeah, those squash. Aren't gonna be real pretzels. <laughs> and for some odd, I don't know what came over me, but I thought, oh, this might be good and healthy too. Oh boy, but I was wrong. <laughs> they tasted <laughs> awful and not what a pretzel should taste like, but I have to eat them now because I spent money on these dumb things. <laughs> And Brian doesn't like them either, so. No, it's terrible. <laughs> I'm halfway through the bag, and um, I might have to feed them to the birds. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I must, much rather would eat, um, what's that ice cream you like? The ice cream uh, that's the best ice cream humans have ever invented is uh, Bluebell Cookie Two-Step Ice Cream. Cookie Two-Step Ice Cream. Yeah, I remember the beginning of the pandemic, somebody... Got you some of that ice cream because you couldn't find it. Yeah, never had I uh, it was like out, and then like that week it started pouring into my like people were leaving on my doorstep. It was like, man, <laughs> and the kingdom of God has come. <laughs> yes, and then you said Sunday that you you love Jolly Ranchers. Yes, Jolly Ranchers is a great candy as well. I like that. Uh, I've grown up flavor. with those. I'm more. I'm a. I'm a cherry person. Cherry, all right. Yeah. Cherry's good too. So yeah, gotta definitely get the right snacks in a in a lockdown situation. Yeah, absolutely. So I will tell you how Brian and I found the church. I don't know if you know this or you remember this story, but I think we've been members for about seven years, I think. I'd have to look at the calendar. But okay. we, we had left a church that went through a church split, which I won't get into. But uh, one of my friends used to go to Red Mountain. And so we started coming. 
And we got plugged in right away to a small group, which was mm. John Nichols' group. Yeah. And one of the reasons we decided to join was I have never been in a church that even dealt with abuse. And when we went to meet the pastor as part of the membership process, Sarah, your wife, told me about Manning the Soul when we were talking that is the ministry I'm most involved in right now. I also host a table during the ladies' Christmas dinner. And normally, Brian and I have been in the music ministry in previous churches, but the logistics of the worship team uh, don't line up right now with our current schedule. So, But maybe in the future sometime, we will join the music ministry because we are both musicians. Mm. I'm usually listening to our church's podcast, Living Stones, mm -hmm. which I really love getting to know all the members of the church and their stories. Yeah. Uh, I need to message Peter and ask him when the next one is. <laughs> well, they, they just recorded it yesterday, in fact. Right. Um, it's going to be with Bella and my dad about preparing for death, Ooh. <laughs> which is kind of dark. But yes. Uh, uh, I heard it was really powerful and good. And Della's always good. Uh, yeah. She's done a lot of thinking and and uh, helping people through that process. Well, I can't wait to hear that. So our church has just celebrated its 30th year anniversary. Mm -hmm. I've got my shirt on today to represent yep. and my little, um, what was it? The little thing in the background. Thingy in the background yeah. with our bulletin for our anniversary service. So... Can you give the listeners a brief history of how the church started and where we're at now? Yeah, uh, real brief. My dad was a farmer in Nevada. That's where I was born uh, in rural Nevada and then felt like the Lord was moving us here to Mesa. We didn't know anybody except uh, my aunt and uncle, my, my mom's sister and her husband and their kids. So we moved here. My dad started going to seminary and pretty soon, like that, the week that we moved here, my dad felt like he needed to go to this one church and check it out. So he did. And there he met a group of people that were looking to plant a church and they just needed a pastor. And so um, through a long process of just meeting and getting to know each other and talking about vision and what they felt like the spirit was leading them in, it kind of became clear that the spirit was orchestrating a, a church plant. In the spring of 1990, Easter Sunday, uh, Red Mountain started with... Uh, five families. We met in a little Italian restaurant uh, at Falcon Field Airport. There's an Italian restaurant that one of our founding families owned. And so he closed it down on Sunday so we could have a place to meet. From there, the church has just kind of steadily grown to what it is today. It's been through its you know, ups and downs like any other church. And uh, we were able to acquire a property of our own and we built some buildings on there. Uh, as term, in terms of a visible presence, but, you know, that's, that's beside the point. We just continue to be a church that wants to preach faithfully the good news of Jesus, to introduce people to him, and to help people grow in that transformation process of becoming more and more like Jesus. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know of any other way to move through life uh, except to be in partnership with God and listening to him on a day-by-day -day basis. So I, I want everybody to do that. And so that's the nature of what our church is doing is we're helping each other in a daily walk with Christ, uh, listening to him, being directed by him, being encouraged and comforted by him, uh, and getting to partner with him in the work that he's doing in other people's lives. So uh, that's the main thing in a nutshell of what we've been about and will continue to be about for the foreseeable future Amen. <laughs> uh, culture. Culture, you know, goes its own ways and nations rise and fall, but uh, the church continues on because it's built by Jesus. And so we're just going to faithfully follow his direction. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's awesome. Now, most of my listeners are survivors of abuse, as you know, and they're in mm -hmm. a crisis of faith. They don't know what to believe of God anymore. They don't trust churches Oftentimes they isolate themselves from the body of Christ because they don't, they don't want to go back to a church. Some have never been in a healthy church. So that's why I invited you to the podcast 
to show what a healthy church, not a perfect church, mind you, looks like. That's important to say. Yes. <laughs> We're not perfect. I think mm-hmm. we have an awesome church. But it's like a family where we're all sinners going through this life and we get on each other's nerves and have disagreements. Mm-hmm. But the difference is how do we respond to those things, right? Yep. That's the key difference always. So let's start with something easy. <laughs> the culture right. the culture of of a church. You know, overall I would describe, you know, Red Mountain as a casual church. It's very warm and welcoming. We call you Kyle. Um, we don't call you Reverend Fox or anything like that, uh-huh. <laughs> unless you want to. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, we just call you Kyle. We don't, I mean, we don't seem to have any dress code that I know of. Come as you are. No. That's the mm-hmm. kind of culture that we have. Uh, I have to laugh at Matt Gibson, one of the, one of the pastors, we w- he would wear a, a black t-shirt, jeans, and flip-flops to yep. preach and i don't think i've ever i don't think i've ever seen you in a suit and tie i it's very <laughs> rare <laughs> i think mainly uh, for weddings that i will bust out the suit but i think you are in an african tunic to a memorial service recently yes and you yeah. reiterate it is not a dress <laughs> <laughs> not a robe not a dress it's a, <laughs> it's a robe. <laughs> oh you got a lot of comments on that, but uh-huh. so unhealthy churches usually have severe standards about dress and separation from the world. You know, I came from a suits and tie and dresses for church kind of a background. Uh, what are mm. your thoughts on that? Because I have especially like cross-cultural background. Uh, I mean, I was raised, I read at this church that I'm in currently, and we've never been a a big dress code church or anything like that. Uh, and it's just amazing how dress standards change and you start to realize how cultural that really is. And because of my belief that my conviction that the church is supposed to be multicultural, uh, which doesn't just mean different skin tones, it means multicultural then you can't have a standard of dress because a standard of dress is inherently identified with a particular culture. And so because we're, we're a multicultural group, you can't agree on a certain standard of dress mm-hmm. and there's no need to. And the point of that in the beginning time anyway was to dress in a way that's gonna make you be intentional about your mindset. Like we're preparing to go worship in the assembly and there's something sacred about an assembled group of believers. This is not just friends hanging out. There is a point and a purpose. And that's why you prepare yourself for that. But you don't want to just prepare your clothes. You want to prepare your heart. Uh, but preparing your clothes helps prepare your heart. Mm-hmm. So I understand people that have that sort of thing, as long as that's their heart and it is to be about preparing their heart. But inevitably, you start showing partiality to the person who has nicer clothes in James two even talks about that. That's been a problem since the early church Mm. uh, where we'll start showing preference given how people dress because human, the human eye is so externally driven. So that's my thoughts. I, I, I don't understand why churches would have a dress code, but uh, or like require that of their pastors or anything like that, just because of the multicultural thing. Yeah, I've I've been a part of 17 churches. I've counted them. And there are some of them that would definitely ask you to leave if you were not wearing the proper attire. <laughs> I just think that's, oh, that's wrong. Uh, I never heard of the multicultural aspect of it. I really, that's really fascinating. I, yeah, yeah, it's I a mean, different mindset. About, that's cool. Even think of the, the parable of the prodigal son. When the father goes running to the son who's returned home, he doesn't. It's not like the son is clean shaven and clean right. uh, from where he's coming from. He's been traveling for a long time and he's and he's broke and he's been feeding pigs. So it's not like he's clean and it's not like he has access to a shower because those didn't exist back then. So th- there's no requirement on the son for the father to even give him a hug. Right. He just does. And 
you know, the church can't require that of people because Jesus doesn't. Yeah, Jesus didn't wear a shirt and tie. <laughs> no, because he's from a different culture. Yes, he had, he had one one garment. Yeah. Anyway, that was a very interesting perspective. I think we have really great worship music. We have a, a blend of hymns as well as modern praise music. And then we have Jessica Garcia, who's our, our music pastor, and she writes original music, which mm-hmm. is really awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's see, we had that album on Spotify. Yeah, it's her original there. original music that she wrote. And we sing mm-hmm. those those songs every Sunday, which but yeah, it's not just hymns, it's not just modern praise and worship. A lot of churches it's either one or the other and one church will bash the other church because they have the new music and oh then you have some churches that the younger generation has never even heard any of the classic hymns. I kind of think mm-hmm. that's a, a tragedy, but mm-hmm. um, they both sound wonderful in a worship scenario, and they both bring refreshment to the soul. Yeah. Amen. Mine and Jessica's ongoing conversation is always, in the end, we're trying to discern what is the spirit wanting to orchestrate for this service on Sunday. And that's what our constant dialogue is. And the spirit wants to orchestrate the singing of certain songs that he's put on the minds of Christians throughout the generations. And just because a song is 400 years old doesn't mean it doesn't have relevancy today. And just right. because a song is four days old doesn't mean it it's super relevant either. It just is a matter of determining ultimately not what's new and fun and gives us a certain feeling. Our approach is always the lyrics what are the lyrics and specifically Jess's thought is, you know, what, what do we want people to be praying by Wednesday? What's a prayer that they can be singing on Wednesday? Cause songs ultimately are prayers. People are m- mostly going to forget anything that I preach about, but they'll remember a song. And if we can have a song on their hearts by Wednesday and have that be a legitimate prayer, that's, that's a good thing. That's what we want to orchestrate for our, our, community yes you mentioned community we send out missionaries all over the world and into the community you send us out before the end of the service on sunday um you were a missionary in in east africa for a few years right yeah yeah what was that like uganda uh it was great we were sarah and i moved to uganda in 2012 we were there from the beginning of 2012 till halfway through 2015 so it wasn't long it was only three and a half years um before we moved back here to take the this current role that i'm in such a great experience uh to be uh in a church in that context in uganda just to be ministered to by those believers to be a part of that church was such a blessing for us we learned so much about who God is and about how he works. It was so uh, formative for our lives. And uh, we were able to obviously do work for the Lord there and impact people and help people in their own growth. And so that was neat to just be a part of that and to see that. It was a neat experience. So a Uganda church probably looks different than an American church. In some ways, yeah. In other ways, it's very, it's very identical. Still have singing. In that church, we were singing Hillsong and, you know, old hymns as well. They had a mm-hmm. great mixture. It was all in English uh, because they were reaching primarily campus students. Uh, and the issues uh, that we were dealing with of specifically abuse was a big issue. And the church over there is just learning about it now. Like mm-hmm. there's more and more Christians realizing how do we help people get healing? Uh, and how does Jesus want to meet people who have, uh, been forced to get abortions or, mm. you know, just had to get abortions or just were abused by their uncle or they were in boarding school and an older classmate, you know, all those sorts of stories and traumatic experiences were very prevalent. And so just a lot of thinking through those issues and how does Jesus want to bring healing and can he, and watching him, watching God do that was a, was a big privilege and blessing. And you guys used um, for his wounds, I think Sarah mentioned. 
Yeah, I think it's by his wounds or for his wounds. It's written by the many soul people, Stephen, Celeste, Tracy, that they cater specifically for East Africa. And they're working on one for uh, Native Americans now, too. I just had him on the podcast last week. So, yeah, it was uh, really exciting to talk about how God was working in, in Africa. And God can heal severe trauma. And he has he seen is. it. He's got these stories. And we need more workers. That's what the, you know, the memorial service you mentioned was for a worker who's been mending the soul in, yes. in, in Uganda and Rwanda specifically. And she passed away. And that's just one little gap that hasn't been filled. Yeah. And uh, the mission is urgent for uh, healing in this regard. And it's a great opportunity to bring in the gospel in a very tangible way to help people heal and overcome the trauma of abuse. Absolutely. Yeah. She was a, a great lady and mm-hmm. I, I um, cried quite a bit at her memorial service. Yep. She it's was really, burdensome. really young. Mm-hmm. Um, so more about community. I, I really love that our church reaches out to our community in tangible ways. I mean, we minister to all kinds of people groups, single moms, those struggling with porn, People struggling with mental illness, LGBT, abuse victims, those with substance abuse, the homeless. Um, we even have a ministry up to um, Native Americans up in Flagstaff. And we have all kinds of outreach to our community. The Christmas lights, which is amazing. Your dad makes all these Christmas lights. And we have this huge, huge display. And we have the car show and trunk or treat around um, Halloween. We have food truck frenzy. And the, as I mentioned, the women's Christmas dinner. I think that part of a healthy church is not isolating ourselves. Like, you know, we're better than the church down the street and come and be a part of our club. It's we're, we're supposed to be out there reaching the lost and showing Jesus to our neighborhood. You have any comments on that? <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah, I agree. And we, uh, we as Christians, we're in the people business. In other words, God is God is seeking people, and He is wanting to reconcile Himself with people. And the evil one has all sorts of entrapments that people are caught in, and have given themselves to. And so we have to uh, be aware of those entrapments and, and offer stuff that meets people in the midst of those specific entrapments and yet shine the consistent, basic, simple truth of the gospel that shine that light into each of those areas, no matter what they are. And, you know, we expand that as we meet people. In the end, we're seeking people. We're not seeking a particular group. We're seeking people and they're going to come from a variety of ways and so a variety of places. And so, you know, that means that you have to reach a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And you just try to do that as best as you can and go from there, see how the spirit moves and what he, what he really blesses and what he has for other churches rather than ours. You know, it's, it's a, it's a big uh, partnership there. Yeah, we want people to feel welcome to come to our church as they are and um, not feel uncomfortable. So that's that's the easy part of the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Let's look at, okay, traits to look for in a healthy church versus a toxic church. Um, what does it mean to be a Bible-believing church? I mean, it shouldn't matter what kind of Bible version the pastor uses how do you know if it's really a Bible-believing church? Well, that's a good question. Um, tough to discern because people, a lot of people claim they are. I, I think the only way you can really have confidence in your ability to discern if it's a Bible-believing church is to know the scriptures yourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the advantage of being a Protestant in the sense of we try to put the Bible in people's hands and make it accessible. And... Um, a good Bible-believing church, I think, is going to prioritize that, making sure that 
it's people or seeking to make sure that it's people are equipped to rightly handle the scriptures on their own. It doesn't mean uh, that everyone will be great at it or those sorts of things, but the church has a desire and they talk about that desire. And you, you can hear about that in a few months of visiting, you'll be able to feel like, man, I, I, they're pushing me in a personal habit in the scriptures Mm -hmm. is I think is a key, um, a key mark. I think you also need to see some sort of plurality and leadership. Uh, if you don't, if you just see one person leading the thing, then I think uh, they don't really believe the Bible. Now, sometimes new church plants is new new church plants only have one leader, or they'll mm-hmm. have two leaders, and you know you can talk with the leadership about that. Um, but those are those are the some of the marks of a Bible believing church. There's a book out there by Mark Dever, Mark Beaver, however you say his last name. It's called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And he kind of goes through nine different things. That's a great resource uh, to help. Like, okay, you know, is this a Bible-believing, is this a good, you know, Bible-believing church? I I would stay away from a church that talks about and emphasizes one version of the Bible over another. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a sign of a, of a misunderstanding of, the original manuscripts and it's a misunderstanding of linguistic translation i came out of a kjv only denomination and um, i'm i'm just exploring those other versions that and i'm learning all these new things and and some lies that i've i've been told all these years about the king james (laughs) and so Yeah. yeah i have an esv i just bought an archaeology study bible when i came back oh okay i love it i'm discovering all these different things that okay i didn't i didn't notice this in a king james so Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but yeah you hit the nail on the head you've you've got to be in the bible yourself um i've met people that they never read their bible by themselves they they read it when the pastor's reading it Mm -hmm. or during a bible study but they never they didn't read it for themselves they didn't have Mm -hmm. that personal bible study well is what the preacher said is that really in the bible you know mm-hmm. it's so yeah that is priority number one for sure um, yeah it's key now what i appreciate about your sermons is you preach about sin and you don't apologize for it you preach about repenting from sin in our lives but you also balance that by extending grace and love to people who are struggling. And first, I think, I think the gospel message just balances that. When you, when you preach the simple and basic message of the gospel, I think you have the balance of you're a sinner. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, you were dead in your trespasses, but now you're made alive in Christ, uh, is, is the balance, is recognizing that we are sinners and yet we're also incredibly loved and pursued by the God who created us. And uh, so anytime, you know, you have to make sure you have the conviction of them consistently proclaiming that gospel and you'll be balanced. Uh, That's just the way it is because you'll be preaching that message. You're a sinner in need of a savior. Your savior lives (laughs) and uh, you can, you can be saved by faith. Not, not by working for it. You don't have to work for it. You just believe in Jesus, that he really did die on the cross for your sins. And you, you understand that that death was the death you were supposed to die. And you don't have to die that anymore uh, as a punishment for your sin. He took it. And uh, he did that so you can be at peace. And that's real. So that, that's, that's a key balance. And then I just, for me personally, I have the conviction of just preaching what the Bible says and trying to help people understand every Sunday, here's what this text is saying. And if you do that, you'll be balanced because mm. you'll stay focused on what the Bible is saying rather than trying to invent something creative or uh, giving the congregation, you know, something that I think is important. I just want to consistently be directed by the words and meaning of the passage itself. So if I really messed up and I'm, I'm coming to church and I'm really struggling with this particular sin, that doesn't, you know, mean that I can't come back to church. <laughs> no, not at all. Because we've got, we've had that grace 
Yeah. And that grace is inexhaustive, uh, inexhaustible. I don't know what the right word is there, but you can't, God doesn't run out of it. It's overflowing and it's, there's no limit because it is who he is. It's coming from his very character. It's not something that he, he gets from somewhere and then gives to you. It, it, it literally is grace. The, the, that's coming from him and <laughs> who he is. And so you, because God's eternal, all those sorts of things, you can't exhaust it. You, you, you won't ever run out of grace. That's, that's what the scriptures continually teach. I think that's what needs to be emphasized. Yeah. Cause I came from a, a legalistic background where my choices were taken away from me in order mm-hmm. to control me. Pretty legalistic. I mean, what's the difference between actual Bible doctrine and preferences or what you would call cultural expectations? How do you know the difference? Sometimes it's tough to know the difference. And it just goes back to you got to know your, your Bible. Um, particularly what you have to know about your Bible is, I think, the ability to make observations in the text itself. And when you are able to do that, which takes 10 minutes to learn, it doesn't take a seminary degree. I can teach someone how to make observations in scripture in 10 minutes if they know how to read. And once you know how to do that, then you can evaluate and you can keep the teacher in check a little bit because you're able to make observations on your own, which uh, will allow you to keep a, a listening ear to avoid, you know, being infused with bad teaching, but also experience more depth with a good teacher because you are seeing what, what the teacher is pointing out and the spirit is illuminating and catching your heart fire uh, in his word. And you're able to gather depth of meaning that me as a teacher could never fully communicate. Uh, and so I, I just think that's really important is that, is that specific development of making observations in scripture. What's the word mean? Uh, what word is repeated? Uh, who's speaking? To whom are they speaking? Uh, is it a poem? Is it a letter? Is it a story? Those basic observations, we often just skip right over. We never skip over that stuff in any other book or any other form of literature. But when it comes to the Bible, for some reason, we skip over those basic language observations and just try to get whatever meaning we can. It's like, slow down and make some observations about what's going on here. And that's supremely helpful. Been on the uh, the Twitter feed, and which is a dangerous place sometimes, but they had uh-huh. this argument about about wine and Christians drinking, and and yeah, that's a tertiary um, uh, argument. But uh, I don't I don't drink. I never have. I don't like alcohol. But um, there are definitely Christians that do drink alcohol, and you know I was very dogmatic in you know in my previous life about. Christians shouldn't drink at all. Yeah, I'm not going to go into the whole argument, but arguments that I previously had, I'm kind of rethinking them now because they're showing me those other Bible passages and the context behind some of these verses. Like Jesus drank with sinners, ate with sinners. Mm-hmm. That that was a big deal in, <laughs> in a previous mm-hmm. church. You know, let's say, would you say that's a preference? I would say it's, it's a preference. It is a preference. Um, we went to France to visit. My sister lives in France, and he wanted to try some alcohol because that's part of the cultural experience there is their champagne and stuff. I didn't have a problem with him trying some wine or champagne, but um, I'd have a real problem with it if he decided he was going to drink every day or drink, bring it into our house. That That is definitely not what I would... Um, tolerate (laughs) but so that would be a preference going through really finding out what the scripture says for example is drinking alcohol a sin uh is women wearing pants a sin that was a but yeah and i'm not playing let's stump the pastor so listeners don't send me emails about 
giving Kyle all the difficult questions today because he got the questions in advance. So <laughs> he knew what I was going to ask him. Uh-huh. So let's go on to the qualifications of a pastor. So what we got first Timothy three, one through seven. So when we're looking for a church, looking for a pastor, what should I see? What should I observe? I mean, yeah, for, I mean, First Timothy three is definitely the list of like, here's what you need to see in an elder, and no elder is going to be perfect. No person is going to be perfectly able to follow that list. The point is not to have a bunch of guys who are perfect and following a list. The point is to paint a picture of of a Christian person. Here's kind of what that life looks like, um, and there needs to be a general conviction and repentance towards the qualifications in in first timothy three and and titus one so in my mind uh that list captures it all the key areas to, to emphasize which have to do with their handling of marriage um i think i think what's fascinating about all that is there's the only ability listed is able to teach uh, and oftentimes we think leaders are supposed to be, have all these abilities and pastors are supposed to have all these abilities. And that's just not true. They, mm-hmm. they should have the ability to teach, but most of the qualifications have to do with character and heart. Uh, and so that's what you have to look for, which is incredibly hard to discern. Uh, but by their fruits, you recognize them. And so you got to look at the fruit. You got to sit there and get to know someone. And okay, do you see the fruit of repentance in their life? Uh, do you see them with their family and how are those interactions like and various things, things like that. Um, but to me, you, one of the key things is the readiness to repent and Mm -hmm. receive, receive rebuke. And how is that rebuke received and how is it considered, Mm. uh, is a very important part i think a good summary of what first timothy three is talking about yeah i've seen some really good pastors and i've seen some really awful ones and there's one of the qualifications is not not to be an angry man and i've seen that time and time again that the pastor's got a temper or is angry or not forgiving (laughs) um or can't control his tongue and Okay, yeah, he knows the Bible. He went to Bible college and he was ordained and called to this church. But what about all these other qualifications that seem to get put to the side? I like that that you mentioned receiving rebuke. Because a lot of times, and you, you also mentioned plurality of leadership. A lot of churches, it's okay, the pastor's in charge and what he says goes and don't say anything about the man of God and don't, um, don't challenge him. Don't question him. He's the pastor. Um, yeah. I find that really dangerous. <laughs> it, it can be dangerous. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. What I, um, I appreciate about you is that you, you are very transparent on the pulpit about yourself I've never heard a pastor talk about his personal struggles and personal sin before I came to this church. Never. Mm. I mean, you you talk about stuff that I've never heard anybody talk about on the pulpit. You keep mm. the messages real and honest. I find that to be refreshing, and I, I wish that for everybody else that's that's looking for a church. That, uh, you're not perfect. You have struggles. Yeah. I come to the come to the throne of god too to ask for forgiveness for these things and mm-hmm. so so can you mm-hmm. yeah i i think uh there's a conviction in me to be that way um because i want to make sure that uh, uh our church is a place of truth and shining light if if i want you know the church to be that and uh then i, w- I need to lead the way in that uh, mm-hmm. not just because I'm a leader, but because I'm a Christian, you know, we just have to lead the way in transparency, no matter what our situation and context and role in the church is. And so we just have to, again, that goes back to just the fundamental preaching of the gospel. I am a sinner in need of a savior. You know, I want to be a faithful preacher and proclaimer of that news. 
Well, yeah. I mean, of course, we've seen the the church too movement, and we've got all these preachers coming out of the woodwork that okay, they've put up this front, pretending that they're this person, and then later on we find out what was really going on. And yeah, uh, yeah that's a real tragedy. It is. And um, then they try and want to cover it up. And we just had a we had our deacons voted in. Yeah, elders. Okay. I'm kind of new to the. That's okay. To the plural <laughs> plural leadership. Uh-huh. Uh, so who make who makes the cut and who shouldn't make the cut? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, first First Timothy three is is uh, is the basic testing ground of that, um, and basically how that works is we as a group of elders um, are aware of who's in our congregation. We try to be, and sometimes people bring us recommendations. Other times we just know people. And as we get to know people in our church, as new people even come in our church, we're constantly looking for who's a spirit-filled leader. Uh, the church is always in need of spirit-filled leaders. And then uh, can that person, do they have the calling of being an elder? And usually that process uh, takes quite a bit of time. So the current approval process for the three men that we just voted in, uh, that's been about a three and a half year process. Wow. But we take it pretty seriously because at our church, we don't have elder term limits. A lot of churches do. A lot of them say, okay, you can serve on the elder board for four years and they're done. You got to take a year off. We don't do that. Uh, we just, they just have to be reaffirmed to the board every year. Um, so there's kind of year after year accountability. But that process is, is just a long process. And the last step is a year. The, that final year before they're actually voted on is a year where they're attending every meeting um, and they're learning about how we work as a board. Um, and we're watching them. We're, we're trying to make sure that they're men full of the spirit. And mm-hmm. Acts 6 or 7, I, can't, I think it's 6, where they choose Stephen and a whole host of other people. They're looking for men who are full of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's just to take care of you know, distributing money. Like it doesn't seem like it's a big role, but they're still like looking for men full of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're trying to do. And that's how we operate as an elder board because we need to be a group of men that pursue the spirit and no one interrupts that. Uh, And so we don't want to bring people in that aren't actually listening for his voice. So we have to test that and make sure and do that. And so we have, you know, we interview them and we have them fill out questionnaires and doctrinal statements and test their doctrine about specific things. And that, that gives us ideas as an elder board of, are they really listening to the spirit's voice in their life? And that ultimately is a thing. And again, it comes, a lot of times it comes back to the basic thing of, and what's their habit in scriptures? What's their habit of confessing sin? Mm-hmm. What's their habit in ministry in, in, in uh, ministering to other people? Uh, that's pretty easy in that sense to see a person who's walking with the spirit is going to have those three things in their life to varying levels and degrees for sure. But they'll have those three things. Uh, and so it, it, it becomes pretty easy to see and observe and to figure out what you're looking for. So that's kind of who makes the cut and who doesn't in that sense. So have you ever had to like turn down a candidate yes. before? Okay. Yes. Maybe not turn down, maybe not turn down, but just wait, okay. uh, go through a process of development mm. uh, is, is probably more of what it is. So it's more of an opportunity to develop an elder. Uh, that's, that's more typically how it's gone. And that's happened several times. Oh, that's great. Then they've got potential. They just, maybe they need to, to work on some things and yeah, maybe uh, in some areas. Well, that's, that's promising. Um, so I remember asking you during meet the pastor at, I think it was your dad's house. Um, I had a lot of pastors that, that, that fell, um, in the ministry very close to me, you know, people I didn't expect. And I asked you, how do you keep your leadership accountable? So these things don't happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't, 100% 100% prevent these sort of things, but are there are there things in place that keep them accountable from, you know, they're going down the deep end and nobody knew this, this was happening? 
Mm-hmm. There's no specific, um, I guess, foolproof way to make accountability happen. That's what we've found. Accountability happens by building a culture centered on grace and repentance Mm -hmm. and transparency in that. So the way you build a culture of, of accountability is by building a culture of transparency and repentance where that's expected, (laughs) where, where that level of transparency is expected and put into practice. And you begin to see when that is not put into practice, then there starts to be problems Mm -hmm. and uh, you can begin to identify. Yeah. Identify where, where leaders have gone off course is because you begin to see them dodging transparency and that's what you're looking for. And so you just, everybody has an eye for that. (laughs) Everybody who's a leader at Red Mountain has an eye for that, that once we stop seeing transparency, but also when leaders, their sin gets found out. Mm-hmm. God has a way of, of, of having their sin be found out. And, and uh, at our church, our leaders are connected relationally because we're just, we're in the midst of doing ministry, all of us. None of us are just leaders, you know, on the elder board or a, a pastor and then never around church people. And things have a way of getting found out uh, eventually. But you have like um, you have like regular meetings with each other and the yes. pastors' yeah. wives get together and they talk about things and yes. so you guys are in communication all the time. So all the time. So especially as elders right now, we elders and pastors get together the uh, second Tuesday of every month. We have dinner together. We pray together. We we talk about a lot of different things at those meetings. The pastor's wives or spouses get together on those nights as well and pray for, for each other and process with each other. And then the elders, the last Sunday of every month uh, in the early morning, we get together and pray as well and talk and process and check in with each other. So there's, there's those regular meetings happening throughout the year that allow us again to just be in relationship with each other. So we have this wonderful youth ministry where red mountain started a building program for our youth ministry we are passionate about investing in our young people Mm -hmm. the next generation and here's the hard question too many churches have covered up abuse of minors what should happen in a church when abuse of a minor by a staff member by a volunteer is found out it's somewhat circumstantial and situational Mm -hmm. um, and depends upon the situation but more than likely you got to report it to the authorities uh and you have to let due process take over that's a key thing yes uh uh, that's one of the first things is to figure out you know what what the truth is and once you confirm the allegations you you have to get the proper law enforcement uh, mm-hmm. notified. Uh, you have to remove the volunteer or the staff member. Uh, you just have to remove them from the situation. Again, from there, it just depends upon the situation and the circumstance in terms of how to go about restoration and healing. Ideally, the victim can remain in the church community and get healing from the church community Mm -hmm. but sometimes it's too hard to do that and so then the shepherding has to be of transitioning that victim to a different church community to receive care and that's an important process and it's important at that point that the victim is the one that makes that decision the church doesn't have to in other words the church should be welcoming the victim Mm -hmm. not casting them out Wow, yeah, uh, definitely. And the abuser is the one who's kicked out. Uh, that's that's kind of a, a non-negotiable. It doesn't And again, the point of that is for healing and accountability. That's how church discipline works. When you kick someone out, it's to it's to be about their restoration as well. You can't only be gracious to some people, even to abusers, I think God's grace extends. But that looks different. Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. 
in different situations. And again, has to be shepherded very carefully and cautiously. But too much is being done to protect the abuser and not yeah. the victim. And, you know, for us, we have to emphasize caring for the victim over and above the abuser. Uh, but, you know, sometimes that gets wacky uh, in some circumstances in churches. But we try to have a priori priority of healing and helping the brokenness that's gone on for the person who was abused. Uh, and for the family and those sorts of things, resourcing them, meeting with them, basically pouring everything we got into helping that family navigate the aftermath and yeah. the trauma. So that's I, that's a little bit, uh, but it is it is pretty circumstantial and situational because it depends upon age. It depends upon you know level of abuse and level of offense and what legalities are involved and authorities are involved and those sorts of things but that's a general idea the bottom line is abuse can't be accepted like it's unacceptable and it can't be swept under the rug it has to be dealt with and it yeah. has to be confronted it can't mm -hmm. be ignored and it exactly. has to you have to have a culture of taking that allegation and accusation seriously swiftly and uh, graciously Mm -hmm. uh, all of which can be done uh, for for followers of Jesus. So uh, that's kind of the basic response I think churches ought to have. Yeah, I just had a guest on my podcast, her Sandy Phillips Kirkham, and she told her story of her youth pastor groomed her from when she was fifteen, and and when it was found out. Um, they kicked her out of the church, and he went on to be a youth pastor, not only in the same church, but another church, and went on to abuse other people, and that was yeah. just a nightmare that went on. She lived with that for 40 years before she got healing from that, but um, yeah, the place was never called. Church defended the abuser. Oh, mm -hmm. he, he would never do that. He, you know, he's pastor so-and-so and everybody loves him. And that's um, horrible. And when we, we have, hire pastors, yeah. when we hire staff members, we upfront talk about how we handle these situations just to create a culture of transparency and say, we will ask the questions. Yeah. Background it's checks. Not, you know. Yeah. We do background checks, all those sorts of things. Absolutely. You're not Google, too... You Google someone, uh, <laughs> Google. Uh, you know, you got to do all, you got to do all your research because we have to have a safe place, especially for kids. You got to be safe. But for anybody, we want to be a church that's safe. Cause we, safe. Yeah. we have amazing, amazing um, leadership for our young people. And I'm assuming I'm, I'm not in the youth group. I'm assuming that they're they're told you're you're never alone by yourself with a child ever. Yeah, we That's have there's specific kind of policies even even in kids ministry about who takes who to the bathroom and what yeah. that looks like and those sorts of things. And that's even the motivation, honestly, behind some of our design for the children the, the new building, is because mm -hmm. our current setup just isn't ideal given the the uh, cautions that we need to take. It's just causing a lot more problems, which. You know, we, we're, we'd gladly been inconvenienced to make sure that we're being safe. But part of the design of the new building is taking in all these things in a factor and more so kind of going above and beyond and making sure there's transparency and safety uh, to protect children from harm of all kinds. Absolutely. So I'm so appreciative of that. And that's why I love this church. Well, I guess we'll, we'll close with that um, the pandemic happening, many people can't attend ch church in person, but this is a great time to go church shopping. And you can watch any church service online now pretty much to get a feel for it, including mm -hmm. Red Mountains services yep. online. You can do some of our Zoom Bible studies or small groups, sign up for Mending the Soul for men or women. And then when you go back to church again, you'll at least have met some people that um, you can connect with yeah, and get some spiritual support in the process. I really appreciate you answering the hard questions. <laughs> yeah. Answering yeah. the hard questions about church and what, what we should be looking for and what to look out, red flags. 
it finding a church is one of the most difficult things uh, that a Christian has to engage in, whether they move into a new city or they've they've been abused by church leaders, especially. It is incredibly difficult to navigate some of those decisions and how to go about it. If you're in the Valley of Phoenix and listen to this, I would just strongly recommend. I mean, I think we're a healthy church in this regard. I think we, we seek healing and we seek to be grow in our health. I don't think we think we've got it all figured out even. Uh, but I would say find a church that has men in the soul in particular, because those mm-hmm. are going to be the churches that really understand where you're coming from and where, where Jesus really can, can operate and, and what healing is possible. It's quite remarkable. And uh, there, it's such a good program and such a good book. It's been incredibly helpful to me personally, been mm-hmm. inc- incredibly helpful to my family personally, and also just seen its effectiveness uh, in our church over the course of many years. And uh, I'm glad to answer the hard questions. I, I want to like shout from the rooftops, uh, you know, and invite people to our church who've been and experienced abuse. Cause I do think you can find healing and I think healing is possible. And I think red Mountain's a place to do it. Uh, and I know that there are other churches that are that way as well. Uh, but it is tricky. It is hard to navigate because not every church is healthy uh, in this area in particular. Well, we uh, want to let you know that we are praying for you. We love you and your family and, Wanted to ask you if you could pray for our listeners really quick before you go. Absolutely. That'd be great. Thanks, Diana. It's, it's a uh, privilege to be on your podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, Thanks for coming. And it's good to see you and your husband and, uh, and to know even more how to pray for you guys in your journey. Let me pray for, for everybody listening. God, you are indeed uh, the God over all creation. We, we know that you've created this earth. And we know that you've created humans in your image, uh, and yet that image bearing has been distorted and tarnished in various ways. Uh, We see that all over our world, and we see that in many different situations and circumstances, whether it's social injustice or abuse or abortion or uh, drug use or poverty or uh, apathy, drunkenness. Many different signs of that distortion are there, and yet humans are still carriers of your image. And you desire to restore people to their created intention of being full image bearers. So I pray for those listening now. I pray uh, that you would just speak to them about their dignity as a human being. not out of a humanistic thing where all humans are just so great and if we just band together we can do everything but out of an image bearing idea that that, uh, each of us are created in your image and meant to be on this earth to represent you and to carry out your will and your work on this world i pray that you'd give the listeners a a renewed sense of that uh, identity in their heart refresh them lord uh, in, in their unique uh, created personhood. God, I pray that you would release these listeners from the blanket of shame that the enemy has attacked them with. Give them the discernment to see the attack of the enemy in particular uh, attack of shame. And would you, Lord, break down that barrier and communicate your love to them in new and fresh ways. I pray for those that are trying to find a church. God, help them to find one in their area, wherever they're at. Lead them through Google searches or just through relational connections or driving even around their specific context and location. Lord, help them to land in a church that's healthy, that will help them heal and where they can be used by you to help others heal. God, you take us through certain experiences so that we can engage in ministry to other people. So I'm thankful for even Diana, how you've taken her experiences and allowed her to use her story for your glory. 
thanks for the chance to be a part of this podcast. Thankful for this podcast. Continue to bless it and use it and the lives of many people. Encourage, strengthen, and lift up uh, those that are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed Kyle's interview. We didn't get to all the things on my list, all the questions that I had for him on the list here. He had somewhere that he had to go, but he preached a Mother's Day sermon this past year that really had me sit up and take notice. Hard and challenging for a lot of women to listen to a Mother's Day sermon, but he preached on 1 Peter 3, 7. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I thought that was his best message ever because so many churches have twisted the scriptures to mean something that it does not. And it resulted in the abuse of women for so long, which is not what the scriptures teach. Um, you can listen to all of his messages on um, Red Mountain Red Mountain Community Church has a Facebook page, and all of our sermons from our church are on there. It's also on YouTube. So if you want to look up that that sermon, I think I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna look it up too. But I'm gonna listen to that sermon again because there were some other points that he had in there that were really really awesome that you should hear. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes for you. But I hope you'll come and check out Red Mountain. I will end today with saying how valuable you are to the Lord, how worthy you are of his love, and how grateful I am that you are here with us on the podcast every week. And as always, you are no longer a victim when you choose to take action. We will see you next week. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org, where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.